welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to week four of Advent, friends, and welcome to Awaken. Uh, the church calendar, as you may know, begins with Advent, the season of Advent, and uh, I think one of, the, one of the reasons, of which there are many to live in Minnesota, <clears throat> and particularly the Northern Hemisphere, uh, I find that the physical world often mirrors the season that we're in, and this season, um, no more than in this season. You know, if you, if you look outside around us, uh, Advent is about stillness, and it's about waiting, and it's about um, allowing something to grow until it's ready to be born. And uh, I just, I find it fascinating and beautiful that as you look outside, so many things are covered, and they're beneath the fallen snow. Um, I, don't, I don't know the last time you walked outside after uh, like a newly fallen snow, especially one with some, some gravity, uh, some, you know, inch accumulation. But like if you do that, especially at night, I, I have this, I've had this experience of walking in like fresh fallen snow at night. And it's as if like the universe is holding you. Like every footstep is heard and every breath and word spoken, like all the light is absorbed and it feels like this giant universe kind of like gathered up around you. Uh, and so much like the crocus and the daffodils and the tulips, like they're buried beneath the ground and they're dormant, but they're not dead. They're, there's something happening down there, but none of us can see it. And we trust that... Uh, Spring will come, and that's what they're waiting for. And so they wait until the inevitable signs of spring. It happens every year. It's happened every year. It will likely happen again this year. And they wait for the inevitable signs of spring to come, and then they just do their thing. And so similarly in Advent, we wait. We wait and we trust that the inevitable signs of God's grace and of God's presence and of God's goodness and of God's love and light will come. Joy has come and it will come again. And so Advent is this beautiful preparing and nurturing in us and uh, or God preparing and nurturing what needs to be born in us and in the world. Um, so uh, I love Advent for that reason. Um, this series that we're doing is called Hidden and so far we've looked at these sort of secondary and supporting characters in the story of Christmas. So we've seen the shepherds, watching their flocks by night. We've seen Zechariah, the husband of, of Elizabeth and father of John the Baptist. Last week, we looked at the Magi and this invitation to kind of move beyond the binaries that we often like to live in, the either-ors, the blues or reds, and say, like, off, I, I find that wisdom is often just beyond the binary. And so we looked at these characters and how in each of them, it's not obvious who is good and who is bad, but there seems to be a little bit of light and a little bit of darkness in each of these characters, the Magi and Herod and even the religious establishment. And so uh, we talked about how this invitation of the star only leads them so far, and each of them and each of us has to decide to step into this story that's being written. So that continues to be the invitation. This week, we want to look at Joseph. Joseph, you might think, is a main character in the story, but I would submit to you that he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Come on. Oh, man, he's the, he's the adoptive, you know, according to church tradition in the scriptures, and uh, he's the adoptive father of the baby Jesus and the husband of Mary. And so I want to look at Joseph for a, a couple of reasons, but one is I want to I pause the story that we often read through in a really tricky spot 
where for Joseph, it's before the angel comes and tells him what has happened to Mary. It's before the explanation of this perplexing and terrible news for him that this woman that he's betrothed to Mary is pregnant with a child. Like, that is not good news, friends. Uh, before Joseph steps out in faith and believes that the angel, what the angel has said is true. I want to stop before we get to that place. A place that I imagine for Joseph is a really dark place. And I want to ask, I want to invite you as hearers of the story in 2019, as much as you can, to try to step into that story. And then we're going to pause. And we're going to do that because I think it's honest. Uh, for many of us, as has been spoken already... This season is about light, and it's about hope, and it's about joy, and it's about, you know, all the things God has done and is doing and will do, and it's Christmas for crying out loud, right? It's all these things, and yet, all that happens, like, right next to deep sadness and grief. Dreams that have not been realized or expectations that have not been met, and yet another year passes, and so these two things exist simultaneously right next to each other. And I think to highlight one and not be honest about another is disingenuous. And I don't know about you, but I didn't really grow up in a church community that allowed space for this to exist alongside of this. And so it often felt uh, disconnected and disingenuous that we all just put on a smile and we all say we believe in Jesus and Christmas and, you know, trim the tree and... Turn on the lights. But for many, myself included, like, this has been a hard year. <laughs> a really hard year. You know, I've been uh, a parent for 16 years. Hands down, the hardest one yet. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room. So what we want to do this morning is to just pause for a moment before... Light comes and joy comes and we affirm the truth of this story of Christmas and just allow those two things to exist with one another without the fear of being labeled unfaithful or skeptic or someone who doesn't believe or trust or who isn't all in. None of that will happen today. So whatever you've brought, whatever you bring, whatever comes up and is in this moment here today is safe. Father Richard Rohr says everything belongs, and I believe that. So that's what we want to do this morning. Welcome to Awaken's first Blue Christmas. Um, so today's going to be really simple. I'm going to read one, two, pass two, two verses from Matthew's Gospel, and then we're going to stop. I'm going to do my best to give you some backstory so that you can step into that story and imagine what that would have been like. And then I'm going to ask you to transfer that experience or that moment to this moment. And say, what is it for you? What is it that, ha that is hard? What is it that, uh, as beautiful as Christmas is, this is still here? And we're just going to trust that like this room and this community can hold that space together. And we're going to, um, I want to invite you to, um, to not deny that because I want you to experience the fullness of your own life. Not your hoped-for life, not your imagined life, not your dreamt-of, but your actual present life. And the fullness of the miracle that the love of God is present and still available here and now in this. 
So that's what I hope and pray for this morning. Then we'll offer the body and the blood, the good gift of God, the Eucharist. We'll sing. If you want, you can listen. Uh, there will be a space for prayer and the anointing of oil if you would like. The oil is a symbol and a, a, a reminder of God's presence by God's spirit that you are not alone. O come, O come, Emmanuel. So that's what we're planning this morning. I hope and pray that uh, and trust that the spirit meets us in the midst of it. So if you can, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the text and then we'll see what happens. This is Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Pray with me. God, this morning as we move into this story and uh, attempt to stand in it and understand and feel and think maybe what Mary and Joseph could have thought or felt in this moment, I pray that by your spirit you would be near us, that we would know with, with very real and tangible, uh, mysterious ways that you are present and Emmanuel to us. And God, as we bring maybe even the hurts and the pains and the discomforts or the, uh, the disappointments into this space and, and allow them to sit, that you would be with us even in that. Uh, may we know you as the comforter and uh, the one who is with us, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, all God's people said together. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so what on earth <clears throat> would it have been like to be in that moment? <clears throat> When Joseph finds out that Mary, his soon-to-be wife, is pregnant with a child, and he is certain he had nothing to do with it. Oh, they call it the virgin birth. And uh, a small caveat before we jump into this, I do know that there are people of faith in the world who maybe struggle with the idea of the virgin birth. There are multiple virgin birth stories in the ancient world and outside of Christianity and the Bible. So some people think that like, okay, it, like did that actually happen? Like the historicity of like the, like uh, actually. Um, so for the, if there are any in the room who have struggled with the virgin birth, it's okay, it's fine. We're not gonna ask you to leave. I'll actually say this, like whatever questions you have about that or whatever suspect you have, you know, skepticism you have about that, just for a moment, set that aside, not because I want you to, you know, act ignorant or be dumb, but just for the sake of story, narrative, like to try to enter into this moment and feel what Joseph might have felt, I just wanted to say that out loud, like I, I would hate for you to get all the way through this and say like you're assuming I believe in the virgin birth and I have a lot of questions about that, so see you, I hear you. Zeke, parenthood, Millie, I see you, I hear you. For the sake of story, let's see if we can't enter into this, all right? A little bit of background. In order to do that, I think a little background as to, like, Jewish wedding situations would be helpful. So, uh, 
There are lots of websites out there that pastors and preachers like me find helpful. One of them is called My Jewish Learning. So if you're interested in any of this kind of stuff, I'm I'm using a little help from my Jewish friends. Um, But here's a little bit about betrothal and marriage. In the ancient world, in Judaism, there were two separate events when someone were to get married. Uh, and, And marriages were not agreements between two people, like they often are in our day, but rather they were two separate families that were in agreement and sort of entering into this thing together. So... It's reasonable, and it it happened all the time, that a groom or the parents of a groom would be gaining an asset in their family, in a a wife, in a a daughter-in-law. And it's true that a family of a bride would be losing something of of great value in their family, someone who would have helped and who would have been around for the household tasks and really been like a, a working member of the family. So that's lost in one family and gained in another. And so for that reason and many others, there was something called a dowry, a price or an agreed upon like exchange that would happen for the gain and the loss that were experienced by these two different families. So in the ancient world, the families who would, uh, would say, okay, are, these two people are going to be married. These were always arranged. So it's very likely that Mary and Joseph would have known that they were going to marry each other and their families would have known that. And so there would be some kind of agreement that was made between the two families for the price, the dowry, the mohar in Hebrew, for the bride. That's called kiddushin. That's the betrothal. Uh, another word for it is irusin. It's like betrothal, engagement, dedication, sanctification. Like this bride is now set aside and she sets herself aside for the purpose of or for the commitment to this marriage that she's now involved in. The ceremony, and, and by the way, for that, there was actually a, a large ceremony that happened, okay? For the actual wedding, what we would call the wedding ceremony, uh, that happened at a later time, a later date, and some common things that would happen at a Jewish wedding ceremony were the ketubah, or the reading of the agreement between the two families. That would then be signed by two witnesses under the chopa, the canopy. Uh, a ring would be given by the groom to the bride, and then, you know, the breaking of the glass, mazel tov. These are common things that would happen in a ceremony. But here's what's interesting and, and helpful for us. The kiddushin, the betrothal ceremony, is actually the more important one versus in our day and age, like, this is the big one. Like, oh, yeah, hey, you got engaged. Great. Send out all the invitations. Save the date magnets, you know? And then it's like, the big thing is the ceremony. But not in the ancient world. The betrothal was the most important. And it was a whole deal. Often, the, uh, the groom would come to the house of the, of the bride, and there would be a blessing, and there would be wine, and they would drink that wine together, and they would say things like, I won't drink of this again until I drink it anew with you at our wedding. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Jesus, when he says, I drink of this wine, you won't drink it again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. It's all marriage stuff. Then, the groom would head back to his father's house. See, Zillow it didn't exist then. No one would like go looking for a house the, the groom would head back to his home and he would begin to add on to his father's house and prepare a place for his bride. So when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to leave and I'm going to prepare a place for you, this is all marriage stuff. It's all betrothal. And when that happened, that betrothal ceremony happened and they drank of that wine and that exchange was done, there was a legally binding contract that these two individuals and these two families were now in. And the only way to get out of that was to serve one or the other a certificate of divorce that was a very formal process that would bring shame on either or or both families. So to be betrothed was a big deal. You didn't just get out of it and say, hey, we're calling off the wedding, forget the date. It was like in the court, in the church, 
by ceremony, official. And you could divorce someone or serve someone a certificate of divorce for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was adultery, sexual unfaithfulness. So the idea would be that when you are betrothed, you commit to being faithful to the one you've committed to until the marriage ceremony where you would then consummate the marriage. So all this is happening in the background of our story. Now, for us, I want to read from a scholar, a New Testament guy, his name's Craig Keener, and he writes this. He says, Joseph plans to divorce Mary not because he believes that God caused her to conceive, but because he assumes her to be guilty of unfaithfulness. So Matthew says, Joseph planned to divorce her quietly. Keener's saying he, he's doing that not because he believes God caused this to happen, but because he, the only explanation for this is that Mary has been unfaithful to him. There's a theory out there that Joseph actually divorces Mary because he, in humility, he just cannot bear the weight of being the, the father to the son of God. And there's a whole theory about why that's true. And Keener's like, I don't, I don't buy it. He says, Joseph planned to divorce Mary because he believed she was unfaithful. He goes on to say, In contrast to most modern Western cultures, Joseph lived in a society where he had no option of giving Mary a second chance, even if he wanted to. Jewish, Greek, and Roman law all demanded that a man divorce his wife if she were guilty of adultery. Jewish law demanded that a man charge his wife with divorce immediately on discovery if she had not been a virgin. Roman law actually treated a husband who failed to divorce a wife who was unfaithful as a panderer exploiting his wife as a prostitute. So for Joseph to find this out, and if we were to fast forward and then to not divorce her, there's all kinds of complexities in that. We're not going to fast forward though, right? We're going to stay here in this moment. So to recap, one Friday afternoon, betrothed young Mary comes to Joseph and says, Joe, I'm going to need you to sit down for this one. Buckle up. Here's the thing. Uh, so an angel. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? An angel visited me, and it was great. We had a great chat. The result of that visit is, uh, well, I'm pregnant, but I didn't sleep with anybody else. And Joseph's response is, cool. <laughs> like, knowing what you know, the little bit that you do, in a shame and honor culture, this is the worst thing that could happen to a man betrothed to be married to a woman. And the only explanation is that Mary has been unfaithful. Because Joseph knows it wasn't him. I would have remembered. Like, what do you feel if you're in that moment? If you're Joseph? Like, what are the dreams that you have that are just smashed? What are the questions that you have for this person who committed themselves and you trusted explicitly? The betrayal you might have felt, the confusion... Uh, an angel. How am I going to tell my mom and dad that one? Like, like, all the scenarios that would have played out. Like, how fast is your head spinning in that moment? 
And we know that Joseph didn't go immediately to faith and belief and trust in Mary. It took the angel coming later. So prior to that moment, if you're there, before the angel comes and assures Joseph, in fact, Mary is not lying to you. And as much as it feels that God may have abandoned you, in fact, the opposite is true. Before that moment, before light comes, in a very dark moment, before the difficulty of this moment that he's just experienced is replaced with the imagination of God inviting him to step into a story that is, well, the story of all stories. And it's here, in that moment, that I want to spend the rest of our morning. I want to ask you this morning, what is your typical response to grief and darkness and hard things and disappointment and unmet expectation? If you're honest, if those things surface just for a moment, how do we typically How do I respond to those things? And if I'm being honest, I have a number of ways that I have learned and figured out how to numb those feelings. We do it in a million different ways. Some of us eat more, some of us eat less. Some of us work out more, some of us work out less. Some of us binge Netflix, some of us eat more Ben and Jerry's, some of us avoid the phone call, some of us... But it's all the same thing, right? It's like an attempt to anesthetize, to numb, to not feel the, the, the sharp like twinge of that moment, of that pain, of that disappointment, of that unmet expectation, of that dream that is dead. And so this morning is an invitation, as crazy as it might sound or seem, to let like the hardness that develops around our hearts like thaw a little, to let the anesthesia wear off just a little bit so that you can begin to feel. And again, I'm inviting you to this because I want you to feel the fullness of your own life. And today's an invitation to let the people of Awaken in this community hold whatever it is you've brought into this room. Maybe you're thinking like, okay, Micah, thank you for that invitation, but that's a little scary. Like, what will happen if I do that? Or will I be able to bear the weight of that if I'm honest with it? I trust, I've been praying, and we've been praying that this community, this moment, this space will be able to bear the weight of whatever is in this room together. I'll remind you of this beautiful moment in the story when Mary, who has an insanely impossible thing happen to her and thinks... Like, who would know what this is like? And yet there is her cousin Elizabeth who also experienced this somewhat miraculous conception and it's her that she's led to to hear and to listen. The, the first person to know about Mary's experience and it's someone who's able to ha- hold and care for and walk with her in the midst of that. I, I just think that's so kind of God. Courteous, even. And I hope that this room maybe is a space where a kind and courteous gesture from the divine, that there's a community here that's like, okay, we can do this together. So here's what will happen. Uh, I'm going to lead us in just a moment into a time of reflection, a time of silence. It'll be a little bit longer than normal. The normal sounds of life and 200 people in a room will happen. It's okay. Uh, I'll try to help you through that and lead you uh, to 
be present to God and yourself. Um, after that, we'll invite the kids to come and they'll, we'll bless them with honey and we'll set the table for the Eucharist. Um, there will be songs that are sung. Uh, I think that these will, I hope that these and the words of them will speak to where you might be. You can listen to them, you can sing, uh, whatever you would like is fine. These, these half walls up here, we flip them around and there are kneelers on the back of them. And we want to make that available to you. So we'll clear some space and as you come for communion or if you don't, skip communion, that's fine. But these are available. If you'd like to come and to pray, uh, their folks from our prayer team will be behind them with oil. If you'd like to be anointed with oil, uh, as you come and pray when you're finished, you can just kind of lock eyes with them and they'll come and anoint you. And if you don't, then you can just quietly leave. Our prayer space will be open and someone will be there. If you want to pray with someone, you're welcome to do that. There are kneelers in the pews in front of you, if you're in a pew. And there are candles in the back if you'd like to light um, for prayers that you might offer. So all that is an attempt to create a space for whatever it is you have, whatever it is you've brought this morning. So let me pray and I'll begin sort of ushering us into this time of response. So if you would, Take a couple of deep breaths. Maybe close your eyes if you want. And I want to invite you to engage your imagination. In the church tradition, this is called cataphatic prayer or imaginative prayer, where we try to actually see in our mind's eye the truth that we believe uh, actually in our mind, in an image, to the degree that we can see something in our mind's eyes, the degree to which we might be transformed by that truth. So I want you to try to see what you maybe believe is true. So in your imagination, in your mind's eye, I want you to try to picture, try to represent the essence, the very heart and soul, the truest part of who you are. Um, no, nothing hidden, no masks. You as you are. The very truest sense of yourself, your soul. And as you can imagine that, I want you to bring that into the presence of God. Whatever you might imagine God to be like, look like, feel like. And allow yourself, who you truly are, whatever you bring into this place today that is hard or disappointing or a dream that has died or is dying, an expectation that you've had that is not met. All of those things right into the presence of God. Just for a few moments in silence to sit with them. No expectations, no assumptions, no need for anything, but just you as you are in the presence of the divine. And let the Spirit lead where the Spirit would lead.
Whatever you need to say to God, say. Leave with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.